Uh, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be at this morning. So I invite you to turn in there to your Bible uh, to that text uh, with me. Genesis chapter 12. I will refer to some other scriptures, and those scriptures will come up on the screen, um, but Genesis chapter 12 will not. So if you have your copy of God's Word, however you have that, where you've got a print copy, whether you've got your iPhone or Android device or whatever it might be, um, I'd invite you to turn there now. So let's see if the thing is working. All right, technology is on our side now. Okay, good. Uh, So hopefully you found your place by now. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to dive into the day's message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity, Lord, to gather together as the church, as your people, to open your word and to hear from it, God. Today, as we walk through this, God, help me to accurately Proclaim your message to your people, God, and help us to apply this text to our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you are a young married couple, people like to give you things to help you start your life together. And when Jen and I moved into the home in which we now live, we were given a number of things, one of which were some accent chairs that we got from her grandparents. And these chairs, they were great. They were well-constructed. They were comfortable. They, they fit into the place that we needed them to fit into, except for her grandparents purchased these chairs in the 80s, and so they definitely did not go with our decor. So we liked the chairs. We didn't want to get rid of them. We found a guy in town who could recover them for us. And and he did just that. He did a great job. And we still have those chairs to this day. One of those chairs sits in my study. And and from time to time, when I look at that chair, I think about how we reclaim that chair for our home. And maybe you have reclaimed or restored something in the past. Maybe it was an old car that your father or or your grandfather gave you. Or maybe you're just driving down the road one day and you you saw this car sitting on the side of the road and you said, I've always wanted a car like that. And you turned around and you went back and you bought that and you took it home and you began restoring it. Maybe it was an old home that you reclaimed for your family. Or maybe it was a piece of furniture like Jen and I did, how we reclaimed that for our home. And I'm sure that, that you're proud of whatever it is that you reclaimed. But have you ever stopped to think about why you did that? You know, maybe it was for sentimental reasons. Maybe it was because you wanted to save some money. Uh, Maybe it's because they just don't make it like they used to. And so if you didn't take that and you didn't reclaim that, you wouldn't have something as good. And I'm sure that that one of those reasons probably fits the bill for you. But, But I want to suggest one other reason why we embark on these reclamation projects. And it's the same reason why shows like Fixer Upper are so popular, why people gather together, and why people were sad when, when they found out that this show is never going to come on the air again. They're just going to have a bunch of, bunch of reruns that they've already seen. You see, when we reclaim something or, or we see something reclaimed, we experience hope. Deep down, we all know that there is something wrong with this world. We all know that that this world doesn't operate in the way that that it should. And we desire for this world to be fixed. 
When we see something that is broken made new again, we are given hope. Hope that the world in which we live can be fixed, that it can be reclaimed. And if you think like that, you're not, you're not out of bounds. The world in which we live is broken. You know, when you, when you look at the book or when you look at the Bible, it, it opens with the story of creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, it tells us that God, he created the heavens and the earth. And, and when he got finished, he said that everything was very good. Everything was perfect. And in his perfect creation, he placed Adam and Eve, who are our first parents, and they lived in perfect harmony with God and with creation. And they lived in perfect harmony with, with one another until one day they were deceived. They were, and they rebelled against God. And what has become known as the fall, this world was plunged into sin and the, the perfect creation was, was no longer perfect. After that, the world, it, it did not operate in the way that it was originally designed to operate. Everything was broken. And as you read through Genesis 3 and, and on to, to chapter 11, and really throughout the entire Bible, you see just how broken this world is, the results of that brokenness, right? There's, there's murder and there's betrayal and there are people who are seeking to make a name for themselves. There's, there's rebellion against God that is just consistent, even with God destroying all of creation except for Noah and those who are in the ark with him and the animals in the ark with him. Even with God doing all of that, things did not get any better. We live in a broken world. We are broken and there's nothing that we can do to fix ourselves. But God has a plan to fix this broken world. And God's plan, it reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. As God is pronouncing this curse on Adam and Eve and, and, and the serpent there, he inserts a promise of hope there in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his Heal. This promise is known as the Proto-Evangelion, the, the first gospel that God provides for us here. And it ultimately tells us that, that God is going to deal with sin, that, that no matter how bad things become in this world, God is going to fix that. But we don't know how. All, all we're told is that, you know, the serpent's head is going to be bruised. And when we're told that, that this bite is going to happen to the heel, and we're not told exactly what's going to happen except for that the serpent's going to be killed and we know that this person, this offspring is going to be killed as well. But we're still, we're, we're left to wonder, how is God going to fix this broken world? What is God's plan? How will he fix the broken world? And we're left to wonder all the way to the end of Genesis chapter 11. There we're introduced to a couple, Abram and Sarah. Now, I know you guys probably know Abram as Abraham, and just his name gets changed a little bit later in the text. So just so there's no confusion as we read through this, we're going to probably hear the name Abram. I may say Abram, may say Abraham, but just know it is the same person. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 11, we're introduced to this couple, Abram and Sarah. They, they are an elderly, childless couple. At the beginning of of chapter 12 though, God, he, he comes to them and God singles Abraham out. And so beginning in verse one of Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham, he says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so here God comes to Abraham and he asks him, he says, I want you to leave everything that you have ever known and I want you to begin walking to a land. I'm not gonna tell you what land it is, but I want you to begin walking to a land and I will tell you to stop when you get there. Now imagine that. Imagine God coming to you. You are, you've lived in the same place your entire life. And God come, maybe some of you guys have lived here your entire life, but God comes to you and he says, I want you to, to follow me. I want you to go to a place and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell you when to stop and that's the, that's the land that you are going to live in. There's gonna be, you know, no realtor who is there who's gonna take you around and you're gonna pick out just that perfect plot of land where you're gonna build your, your dream home. There's gonna be no tour of the land at all. There's gonna be no meet and greet with the people to see if you guys click and, and see if you guys uh, match up. And, and yeah, this is the people that, that I want that I want to live around. No, God just says, I want you to walk. I want you to leave everything that, that you have ever known. I know that, that when you go to Starbucks or when you go to the coffee shop or when you go to your breakfast place, they know exactly what, what drink you want. Or, or when you walk in, the waitress, she doesn't even have to ask you what breakfast you want this week. She just goes ahead and puts in the order and, and brings it to your table. Leave all of it. Leave it all behind your comfortable life and just begin walking. And at some point, I'm going to tell you to stop. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, if, if you ask me, that is a pretty big request and a pretty big gamble. But, but God's request comes with a big reward. God tells Abram that he's going to make him into a great nation, that his name is going to be great, that he is going to be protected, and that he's going to be a blessing to the whole entire earth. Not just a little tiny pocket, but, but the entire earth, he will be a blessing. And so God's request, it, while it's a big request, it comes with a big reward. And that last promise that, that Abraham is going to be a blessing to the entire earth, it clues us into the idea that, that God is planning to use Abraham and his family to restore this broken world. We're not told yet how that's going to happen, but we see God's plan moving one step further. We see the people that he is going to use in order to begin restoring this broken world. And while God's promise, it definitely provides us with hope, God's promise brings up a lot of questions. I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they're not your ideal couple when it comes to creating an entire nation uh, from them, right? I mean, they are an elderly, childless couple. Abraham is 75 years old at this time. Sarah is not too far behind him. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not too many 75-year-olds walking around pregnant about to give birth to a kid. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just not happening this day and age, and it's not happening back then either. And so, so we're left to wonder, like, okay, God is, is moving a step further, but, but how is he going to use this couple in order to bring a blessing to this world? How is he going to create a great nation out of this particular couple? It seems to me that, that they're not really that great of a choice. You know, if, if you were to ask me and you were to task me with, with coming up with a, a plan to, to recreate this or to, to make this world better, I would go and I would pick that, that high school sweetheart couple that, that came out of high school, they got, they got married, and they immediately began to have kids. 
Maybe they've had twins. Maybe they've had triplets. By now, they're like in their late 20s, but they already got about 10 kids, you know? And, and, and so you're like, all right, this is the couple that I am going to use in order to begin making a great nation. They, they've already made a good start. Maybe they'll start having four, five, six, eight kids at a time, and things will just begin progressing on from there. And so you probably wouldn't choose this couple but God has chosen this couple. And God does that because God is not like us. You know, God doesn't work in the way that we work. God does not think in the way that we think. And he doesn't work in the way that we work. He doesn't think in the way that we think for a reason. You see, God not only is out to redeem this world, God's not only out to restore this world, but he also wants to see that he is greater and he is wiser than we could ever be that he can do the impossible. He wants us to realize his greatness. He wants us to realize his wisdom. And he wants us to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in him and him alone. You see, we serve a great God. Our God can do some amazing things. And even though we might know that, even though we might know that about God intellectually, we often have a hard time living that out in our own lives, right? It's, it's because we want to be in control. We not only want to have a plan for tomorrow, we not only want to have a plan for next week or, or next month, but, but you know, a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with having having plan like that at all. It's just wise to, to plan things out. But we have to be willing to hold our plans loosely. We have to be willing to place our trust in God. But that can be hard because we want to be in control. You see, it is our desire to be in control that got us in this mess in the first place. And so instead of seeking to control everything, what we need to do is we need to depend on God. We need to trust in Him. We need to see that, that, that He can do things that is greater than, than we could ever imagine. We serve a great God. And in order to faithfully serve Him, what we have to do is we have to be willing to take our hands off of our life and we have to be willing to surrender to him. And then we have to watch with amazement what God can do through our lives and what God can do through this church right here. We serve a great God. We serve a God that is more capable than we even give him credit for. We serve a God that is amazing, a God that we need to trust in. And that's exactly what Abraham is going to need to do. You see, they're not only an elderly, childless couple, but, but the land that God has decided to give them is already inhabited. So look at the second half of verse 5 with me. And Abraham took Sarah and his wife and Lot and his brother's son and, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then God, then the Lord, excuse me, appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And we'll stop there for now. And so at this time, Abraham could have looked at God and he could have said, God, you, you're, you're crazy. I mean, do you see that this land is inhabited? I thought that you might have me stop in a land where there was nobody there. 
just this lush paradise that nobody has inhabited yet. I thought that's where we were going, God. But, but look, this land is inhabited. How could I ever, ever have this land for myself and, and for my family? Abraham could have said that, but Abraham doesn't say that. Instead, Abraham believes in God. And we know that he believed in God because of what Abraham begins to do in the second half of verse 7. So pick back up there with me. To your offspring, this is a promise God gives them, to your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Now, you notice what Abraham did. Abraham goes through the land, and Abraham is building altars in that land. And it's thought that Abraham builds these altars next to the Canaanite shrines that already existed in the land. And so we need to ask the question, why did he do that? Why did Abraham go through the land building these altars? And if it was next to these Canaanite shrines, why did he do that? Well, what Abraham did, we can liken to what the American soldiers did on Iwo Jima in World War II. And I'm sure that most of you guys have seen that, that famous photograph taken by Joe Rosenthal, that sculpture that was later done by Felix Weldon for the Marine Corps War Memorial. It pictures six men raising a flag on the, ta- on the top of Mount Sarabachi. I mean, it is an iconic image that I'm sure that all of you have seen before. Now, I didn't know this until I started doing research. When they raised that flag, they actually raised that flag on day five of a 35-day battle. The battle wasn't over yet when they put a stake, when they put that flag in the ground. And so we needed to ask, well, why did they do that? Why would they raise the flag before they even took the land? And when they raised that flag, what they were actually doing is they were, they were claiming that island as American territory. And Abraham is doing the same. When he builds these altars, he is claiming the promised land as the land of God. He is essentially saying, to, he's essentially saying, in that land, this Lord, the Lord is going to be worshipped. The Lord is going to be obeyed. I trust the promises that God has given me, that he is going to give me this land. But just as the American army had to wait another 30 days to take that island, Abraham's family didn't have to wait 30 days. They had to wait several generations to take the land of Canaan. But God indeed did, you know, give the land to Abraham and he gave that land to his family. And while God's reclamation project, while we see that, that it begins with Abraham, God's reclamation project doesn't, doesn't end with Abraham. It doesn't end with, with Abraham's family. God's reclamation project extends to us. You see, eventually that that offspring that we read about in Genesis 3.15 eventually comes. And we know that offspring as Jesus. And Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and Jesus went to the cross for us. On the cross, as he was hanging there between heaven and earth, our sins were literally placed on Jesus. And God poured his wrath out on Jesus for us. And Jesus died in our place. And all of those who would admit that they cannot save themselves, that there is no other way to God except through Jesus, then they are willing to repent of their sins. They're willing to turn from from living life their own way. They're willing to turn from rebelling against God. And they're willing to turn and follow Jesus and believe that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior can experience salvation. 
and they will be brought into God's family and into God's reclamation project. And it is through Jesus that God is ultimately restoring the world, that he is reconciling this world to himself. And one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to create this world anew. And this world is going to be perfect. This world is going to operate in the way that God had originally designed for it to operate. And all of those who are God's people will experience that for all of eternity. But between now and Jesus' return, we are to participate in God's reclamation project. We are to seek to be a blessing to this world. We are to push back the darkness in this community. We are to seek to heal the broken, to bring all peoples to Christ so that they might experience restoration and salvation, so that they might experience hope. We are to seek to be a blessing to this world as we participate in God's reclamation project. And here's the thing, our participation in this project is not optional. In Matthew 28, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore, and he's speaking to his disciples and to all disciples that would come after, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And see, our participation is not optional. If we are Jesus' disciples, we are to participate in God's reclamation project. It's not an optional extra that is just reserved for pastors or, or for Sunday school teachers or for deacons or for Bible study leaders or for those people who just want to be, uh, you know, a notch above everybody else. Every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ is supposed to participate in God's reclamation project. We are supposed to be out there seeking to make disciples and we're supposed to be seeking to make disciples in the church as well. And if you think about it, it is a privilege for us to participate in that project. That God would use us, broken sinners, in order to restore the world, in order to be a blessing to this world. Now, many of you might be saying, man, that's great. I hear you. You know, I, I want to be a part of God's reclamation project. I want to be a blessing to this world. I, I want to push back the darkness. I, I want to, to, to be a light in this particular community. I just need to know how. And so what do I need to do to participate in God's reclamation project? And let me just give you four things as a way of application and how you might participate in God's reclamation project. First, we have to be willing to give up everything for God and follow him wherever he leads. So not, not an easy ask, but this is what God asks of us. Genesis, I mean, yeah, Genesis 12, uh, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now two of my friends, Phil and Leah, they uh, were missionaries in Kenya for a time. They're not they're not there now, but, but they did exactly what this verse said. They took God up on his call, and they, they answered that. And they moved over to Kenya. They left everything behind. They left their family. They left their friends. They left everything that was comfortable, and they moved halfway across the world to minister there in Kenya. And before they left, they didn't know what was in store for them. 
They didn't know that they were going to have to move several times while they were in country. They didn't know that they were going to get several different illnesses. They didn't know that they were going to be hospitalized several different times. They didn't know they were going to be robbed and, and extorted for money while they were there. But they went anyways. And as far as I know, they don't regret the time that they spent in Kenya for the Lord. And while Phil and Leah, while they left everything and moved halfway across the world, God doesn't call everyone to do that. Now, if God is calling someone here today to full-time missions in a foreign country, then, then you should definitely answer that call. But, but God doesn't call the vast majority of us to full-time missions in foreign countries. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't call us to be a missionary. God calls us, each and every one of us, to be a missionary right here in our own community. God calls us to be on mission for him. And so whether that is calling us halfway around the world or halfway across the street, God calls all of us to be on mission, to be on mission for him. And in order to be on mission for him, we have to be willing to give up everything and follow God wherever he leads. And so that, that's the first thing that we must do if we're going to participate in God's reclamation project. The second thing that we must do in order to participate in God's reclamation project is that we have to trust that God is going to use us. Abraham is a great example of someone who had to trust that God was going to use him. I mean, remember the promise that God gave to Abraham. He comes to him and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, we remember Abraham is 75 years old. His wife's not too far behind. They don't have any kids yet at all. And so Abraham has to really trust that God is going to work through him, that he is going to use him and his wife in order to bring about this great nation. He has probably had no idea how that's going to happen, but he's got to trust that God is going to bring that about. In the same way, we have to trust that God is going to use us to advance the kingdom. You see, we cannot buy into the lie that we're not smart enough, that we're not godly enough, that we're not, not well-connected enough in order to go and make disciples. You see, if God calls us to be a disciple, he will use us to go and make other disciples. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, Paul writes this. And what Paul writes, honestly, is very, very humbling. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, if God saves us, God will use us. No matter what abilities we possess, no matter what our background was, no matter what God has brought us out of, no matter how well put together we are, no matter how unput together we are, God is going to use us. If he has called us to be his disciple, he will use us to make disciples. And we cannot, we cannot buy into the lie that God cannot and God will not use us or that we've got to get to a certain level before God can do that. God will use each and every single one of you to make disciples for him. And along with trusting God to use us, we have to believe that God will give us favor with others as we spread the gospel. You see, one of the promises that God made to Abraham and to his family is that they were going to be a blessing to, to everyone in the entire earth. 
And when God says blessing, he means that, that, that he would bring about salvation through Abraham and through his family. And so Abraham had to trust that God would use his family, that God would use his family after him, that, that God would use the nation in order to eventually bring about a blessing to the entire world. And in the same way, we must believe this too. We must believe that God will use us and that he will give us favor with whom we are sharing the gospel, that they would listen to, that they would believe the message that we are bringing to them. You know, not too long ago, I came across an article in a missions magazine that was put out by the Navigators. And, and this article highlighted a missions team that went to the town of Bukalu. Now, Bukalu is about as far away from the Bible Belt as you could ever imagine. Bukalu was actually formed by former criminals. And so this place is, is rife with witches and, and murderers uh, and people who had actually been driven out of their city because they were, they were that bad. One of the missionaries, Sam, he said this, We had never worked with people like this before. Witchcraft, drunkenness, adultery, murder, these were their specialties. Now, you know what happened in that town? Within two years' time, God had used Sam and the missionary team that went there in order to do a mighty work in that community. And these people who were hardened criminals, who had been kicked out of their city because they were just that bad, God used these missionaries in order to bring about salvation in that town. And, and not everybody in the community is saved, but there's a vast majority of people who have come to Christ in that community that you never wanted to move into is now being transformed and it's being transformed through the gospel as it is working in the life of those people there. And just as this team had to believe that God would give them favor with the people there, we must believe that God will give us favor with the people that we are trying to reach. If we don't, then there's just, there's no way that we're going to participate in God's reclamation project, right? I mean, if we don't believe that God can change hardened sinners' hearts, if we don't believe that, that God can call whoever he wants to himself, if we don't believe that, that God raises dead men to life, there's no way that we're going to participate in God's reclamation project because God is asking so much of us. God is asking us to leave everything that is comfortable, everything that we know. He's asking us to give up so much in order to participate in this project. And so if we don't believe that God can do this, then there's no way that we are going to participate. And just, just by way of reminder, you know, you guys, if you are a professing believer today in Jesus, you have to remember that, that you were once that hardened heart person, that person who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, that person who lived in rebellion to God, that person who had a heart of stone. And God came into your life and he worked in you and he gave you a heart of flesh. He gave you, he saved you as the spirit worked in your life so that now you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so if you begin to doubt that God can, can transform those whom he is sending you to, you got to remember that, that God has transformed you. You were once a dead man and you have once, and you, you are now that have been brought to life. And so we have to remember that and we have to believe that God will use us to change others' lives. The last thing that I want to say that in order to participate in God's reclamation project is that we have to believe that God will ultimately reclaim this world and establish his kingdom. 
when God promised Abraham the land, this land, it wasn't empty. The Canaanites were in the land. They had a strong military and fortified cities in the land. And so Abraham had to believe that God would drive these people out of the land. Abraham had to believe that God would establish his kingdom there in that land. And we must believe the same. We must believe that, that God will establish his kingdom on this earth. If we don't, then there's no way that we're going to work again to, 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 to reclaim this world for Christ. There's no way that we're going to do that because God is saying, leave everything. He's saying, give up your life that you know. Give up all that is comfortable. Maybe he's telling you to to move out of your home if you're going to be a foreign missionary and move halfway across the world. He's saying, you need to be willing to give up your job. You need to be willing to give up your friendships and, and sometimes even your family if you are going to come and participate in this with me. And so if we don't believe that that God is ultimately going to establish his kingdom in this world, then there's no way that we're going to participate in this project. But we know that God is going to establish his kingdom in this world. And we know that because God is a promise-keeping God. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, I am going to give you this land. I am going to make you a blessing. And and guess what? God did that. God sent Jesus, or Jesus came, second person of the Trinity. He comes, he leaves his his heavenly abode. He comes and he lives on this, this earth, and he goes to the cross for us. And so we are here today because of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so we see that that is being worked out But we also see another promise in Revelation 21 and 22. God promises that that a new heavens and a new earth will come. And so we see that God has fulfilled his promise with Abraham, with us. And so we know that God is a promise-keeping God. And God will fulfill his promise to bring salvation to this entire world. To restore this entire world for himself as his kingdom. And knowing that, we can boldly go and participate in God's reclamation project. And so do you believe that? Do you believe that God has already begun reclaiming this world for his kingdom? Are you participating in God's reclamation project? Are you a disciple who seeks to make disciples? Do you live on mission for Jesus? Are you participating in God's reclamation project? My hope and my prayer is that that we can participate in God's reclamation project together. That East Riz Baptist Church will raise a banner for Christ in the community so as to stake out this community as Christ's community, that this church will continue to shine as a light into the darkness of of all of that that is around us, all that surrounds us. That this church will be a blessing to this community And this church will be a blessing to the nations. It's my hope, it's my prayer that we can participate in this reclamation project together. Now maybe, maybe God is reclaiming somebody for himself here this morning. In a moment we're going to have a time of response. And so I'm going to invite Paul and the team to come up and, and get ready for that. But maybe, maybe the Lord is reclaiming someone for himself this morning. If you are willing to repent of your sins, to admit that that you have been living in rebellion to God according to your own will, and turn to follow Jesus. If you are willing to admit 
for the first time maybe in your life, that you cannot save yourself, that you cannot do enough things, you can't work your way to heaven, but that it's only through Jesus and only through his death on our behalf. Maybe for the first time in your life, you are believing that today. Well, when we have our time of response here in a moment, I would invite you to come down. Not that walking down this aisle is is what's going to save you. Jesus is what saves you. But coming down here this morning is an opportunity for you to make a public profession of your faith and, and for the church to know that you are a believer in Jesus. And they can come alongside of you and they can help you become a, a disciple who makes disciples. Now, I also believe that at, every time the word is preached, believers are supposed to respond as well. And so if you're a believer here this morning, the, the way that you might respond to this message, and one way that you might respond, there's multiple ways, but one way that you might respond is by saying, from this day forward, I'm going to do whatever I can to participate in God's reclamation project. I'm not going to believe the lie that, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough. I'm going to believe that God can use me, and I'm going to go wherever God will lead me in order to do that. And so maybe today is a day for you to respond in that way, to say, I am going to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so I'm going to pray, and then Paul is going to lead us in song. And so during that time, let's respond to this message. God, we come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise that you give us. We thank you for the salvation that you provide us in Jesus, and that you have worked out your plan to bring about salvation to this world, and you're continuing to work that out. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that you might be calling to yourself, God, that you would work in their life here this morning, that they would boldly be willing to step out and to proclaim faith in Christ, that their life might be transformed here this morning, and they might begin walking with you anew today. And for those who are believers, God, I pray I pray that today would be a day that that they would put a stake in the sand and say, I am going to participate in God's reclamation project. I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.